Psalm 97 is a confession of God's reign. Here the psalmist seeks to correct the believer's distorted view of God. And so the psalmist pictures Yahweh coming to judge his enemies. When believers see God as who he really is, then we will submit to his rule. As we work through this psalm, we're going to begin in verses 1 through 6 with the sovereignty of God. Then we'll look at verses 7 to 9, the supremacy of God. Verses 10 to 12, the sanctity of God. And again, as we work our way through this psalm, we're seeing God judging his enemies. But again, it's giving us a view of who God really is. And again, when we see who God is, we will submit to his sovereign rule. So let's begin with God's sovereignty, the sovereignty of God in verses 1 to 6. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightning lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. The first opening statement, the first assertion in verse 1, the Lord reigns. Basically, it's telling us that Yahweh is enthroned, not only in Israel, but in heaven. He reigns over the entire universe. Now, from the perspective of Israel, he delivered them from Egypt as the warrior king. And so the announcement that Yahweh reigns is followed by a call to respond. Let the earth rejoice. Again, we notice here the reign of, of Yahweh is not just over Israel, but over the entire earth. Therefore, not only is Israel to worship the Lord, the whole earth is to be joyful at the news that God is king. Now, in verses 2 to 6, we have a description of what it means for Yahweh to reign. So notice, first of all, in verse 2, God's face is hidden. He veils his majesty as clouds and darkness surround him. And this really gives us a picture of what we see in Exodus 19 and verse 16. When God came down upon Mount Sinai, the, the mountain was surrounded in thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud so that not even Moses could see God's face. So we see, first of all, God's face is hidden. Secondly, God is seated on his throne. And, he's the, and he rules with what? righteousness and justice as the foundation. See, God's rule is a rule of law. Righteousness, of course, refers to his moral law. Justice is the execution of that moral law or moral order throughout the world. He is going to restrain evil and he is going to defend the oppressed. Third, God deals with his opposition in verse 3. Notice the fire of judgment burns up his enemies all around him. Now, that was certainly true for Israel in the Exodus. It was true of Israel in the time of conquest when they, uh, when they went into the promised land. However, we also, as we continue our way through the Hebrew Scriptures, we find out that when Israel, God's people, became his enemy through idolatry and immorality, the fire of God's judgment was turned against them. God always deals with his opposition. Fourth, God manifests his glory through his lightnings, which cause the earth to see and tremble. Every time we see lightning, it ought to picture, it ought to typify for us, point us to Yahweh's power. And just as lightning can be terrifying and cause one to jump or to tremble, that is an appropriate response to the display of God's power. 
Notice in verse 5 that the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. God is a consuming fire. Not even the mountains could stand the heat of God's judgment. And this is true when we consider 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 that tells us that in the day of the Lord, the elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Number five, the fifth thing we see here is that the heavens above declare or have shown God's righteousness. We can see God's moral order in the heavens. Now, obviously, we have two forms of revelation. We have special revelation, which is God revealing himself through Jesus and through the written word. But we also have what's called general revelation that the entire world has. We can look at the created order and see God's moral law all throughout the universe, all throughout his creation. And our response, not just the response of Israel, but all the peoples see his glory and all people should rejoice in him. When we look throughout creation and we see these various laws, uh, such as the law of gravity, it reminds us that God is in control. He's the sovereign one. He has the world, all creation, the universe under his control and his sovereign laws reign. Now notice the confession. The Lord reigns again. That verse, that statement rather, in verse 1, now has content. God reigns in heaven, but surrounded with majesty. He reigns in righteousness. He executes judgment against his enemies. The world trembles. The world is shocked at his presence as he claims the whole earth for himself. The heavens announce his righteousness. He shows the earth the glory of his salvation. This is why we rejoice. And this is why we can be glad. Because we have the, a God who is sovereign. The sovereignty of God, verses 1 through 6. Let's move to verses 7 to 9. The supremacy of God. The supremacy of God. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad, and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of your judgments, O Lord. For you are the Lord Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Now, he's addressing here in verse 7 the false gods and those who worship them. Now, those who worship or serve these carved images, these idols, are to be ashamed. That is, disappointed. And they're disappointed because their idols are impotent before Yahweh. In Isaiah 44, verses 10 and 11, the prophet says, Who would form a god or cast a graven image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And also notice here that idols will bow themselves down before Yahweh. Worship, bow down to him, all you idols, all you false gods. Now, of course, we know that these gods are inanimate. They're not real. But the point is that even these inanimate objects are going to bow down before God. That's how supreme God is. Contrast with the idolaters who are ashamed of verse 7, Zion, God's mountain in Jerusalem, hears and is glad or is, is exalting. God's reign vindicates his people. The daughters of Judah rejoice. So those who worship idols are ashamed, but those who worship God are glad. They're filled with joy and they rejoice in God's supremacy. 
This joy comes from God's judgments against his enemies. Again, as verse 2 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so, as God casts these idols down, he is seen to be the most high above all the earth in verse 9. He is exalted far above all the other gods. Isaiah 40 and verse 18 says, To whom will you liken God? What likeness will you compare to him? The answer is, of course, there is nothing. God is incomparable. He stands alone. He's judged by no one, yet he judges all. No wonder Zion rejoices. And so in verses 7 to 9, we have the supremacy of God. And then finally, in verses 10 to 12, we have the sanctity of God. The sanctity of God. Hate evil. You who love the Lord, who preserves the soul of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown like seed for the righteous. Gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. When we talk about the sanctity of God, we're talking about the fact that God is holy and set apart. He is pure and perfect. And so that indicates that there are moral consequences to worshiping God. He begins, to love the Lord means to hate evil. You can't love both. You can't love God and evil. You either love evil and hate God, or you love God and hate evil. Also, he tells us, he takes care of his own. He preserves the soul of the godly ones. The word preserve there means he keeps the souls of his saints, his godly ones. How? By delivering them out of the hand from the power of the wicked, literally the lawbreakers. So as we hate evil, God hates the evildoers, and he will deliver us from them. Now look at verse 11. He says, light is sown like seed for the righteous. Now what is light? Well, obviously God is light. Christ is the light of the world. But when we consider light, it is the embodiment of God's revelation. It is the embodiment of the gospel. Okay, this is why we're to bear light. We're to bear the gospel. We're to bear God's revelation to the world. And as we do so, we're sowing uh, that seed of righteousness. And the result is gladness will be sown for the upright in heart. And so as we sow the light, as we sow God's revelation, sow God's salvation, the gospel, we're going to have gladness. And therefore, what? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Thanks should be given. Praise should be given at the remembrance of God's holy name. So when we consider that who God is, he's holy. He hates evil. And yet this holy God who hates evil provides light. He's provided revelation to the world to redeem people from evil, from lawbreakers, from iniquity. And therefore, our response should be to praise him for his holiness. And I want you to see here that in verses 10 through 12, this this exhortation is addressed to both the idolaters and the faithful. He's telling the idolaters, because God reigns, your idols are going to fall. So repent. And he's reminding us as the faithful, don't forget that God reigns. Therefore, praise him, worship him. And because God reigns, the light of God's salvation is going to be sown. There's going to be a harvest of joy. Do you believe the Lord reigns? 
Have you taken the moment to consider the sanctity of God? Have you taken a moment to consider the supremacy of God? Have you taken a moment to consider the sovereignty of God? I would challenge you that throughout each and every day, you set a time aside to consider what it means that God reigns. Take a moment. Think about God's sovereignty and how and how that looks, how that affects your life. Take a moment. Think about the fact that he is completely in control. Take a moment and think about the supremacy of God, what that looks like, how that affects your life. Do you, have you set up some idol? Have you put something else ahead of God before God? And listen, an idol doesn't necessarily mean it was something bad. It could have been something good. But folks, when something even good is put before God, it becomes an idol, and God is going to cast those things down. God wants nothing, nothing between you and him. And then take a moment and consider the sanctity of God. What does that mean to you? How does that impact your life? The fact that God is holy, God is pure, God is set apart, high and holy, lifted up. Friends, as we take time each day to reflect on who God is, and particularly as we see him in his dealings with us and with the unjust, it's going to cause us to submit to his sovereign rule. Let's pray. Our good God, Holy Father, the Lord who is supreme, sanctified, and sovereign. We come before your throne of grace even now through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we praise you and lift you up because you are the Holy One. There is none like you. You are the Supreme One. There is no one greater than you. Father, you are the Sovereign One. You have all things under your control. We need not fear or fret the things that happen in this life because we know that ultimately everything that happens is under your control. And you're not going to allow anything to happen that's going to undo your plans, your sovereign decree. Father, Lord, we confess that we don't often enough reflect on who you are. We don't worship you. We, we, we don't reverence you as we ought. We don't submit to you as we ought. And that's because we haven't taken the time to consider your sovereignty, to, to consider your sanctity, to consider your supremacy. And so, Father, help us each and every day to take a moment to reflect on who you are, on what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And, Father, as day by day we get a bigger picture of you, I pray that day by day we will more and more submit to your sovereign rule. And so, Father, we ask that you'd get all the praise and all the glory. I pray that our lives would be a testimony to your power. And may we continue to be a testimony each and every day until you call us home. Lord, we ask that you get all the glory through us, and we commit these things to you and say, Amen.